I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. I have a word for you, and I just want to see what you think. Religion. All right. What are you thinking about? Because it's very interesting. A lot of people, when you say the, the term religion, they, they think, you know, church. They think Bible. Uh, they, they, they think of things that are reverential. It's, it's a very sacred thing to them. Other people, they hear man-made constructs, rules, do's and don'ts, control. And it's, 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 an, it's an interesting thing, you know, when you get into it with different people, because it really depends on where you're coming from. Uh, when you hear the term religious trauma, does that, for some of you, you're like, yeah, I, I totally get that. Well, that, that's what we're going to talk about. And we'll try to put it in the proper context. This is not a bash Christianity session, but this is a, an honest conversation about what can happen, um, in these institutions that are dedicated to God ostensibly, but are man controlled. Uh, and, and I have a psychotherapist with me, uh, and she has a new book called When Religion Hurts You. It's by Dr. Laura E. Anderson. And Dr. Anderson is the founder of the Center for Trauma Re- Resolution and Recovery, get this right, as well as the co-founder of, get this, the Religious Trauma Institute. Yes, there is such a thing as a religious trauma institute. Why? Well, we'll find out. Appreciate you guys being here. Chat is open if you would like to be a part of a constructive conversation. Spammers need to go away, uh, but you're invited to be a part of the conversation. Um, Dr. Laura Anderson, great to have you on Live Today Live. Appreciate you being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. So I think we should probably start at the top, just kind of defining the term as you mean it. What What is religious trauma? Yeah. So I say this several times in my book, but this is the perfect place to start. Um, Religious trauma is trauma, which sounds maybe a little cliche, but I really believe that in order to understand religious trauma, we have to understand what trauma is. Mm. So unfortunately, in the clinical world, there's not a very succinct definition to what is trauma. Mm. But the way I describe it is anything that is too much, too fast, too soon, that overwhelms our ability to cope and come back to a place of safety. And so that means trauma is very subjective. It's not necessarily, it's not the thing that happens to us, but it is the way that our body or our nervous system responds to the thing that happens to us. And so Again, that means it's subjective. It is embodied. It's not something we can think away. And when we talk about religious trauma in particular, religion acts as a bit of a an adjective that helps us understand better, like the context of where these things happened. So just like we might say trauma from war, uh, developmental uh, or childhood trauma, that just helps us kind of understand where it happened and maybe some of the things that we're going to need to be addressed more specifically because of that context. So when with religion, religious trauma, we're talking about trauma that's happening in the context of religious um, structures, whether that's uh, relationships uh, within the religion, whether that is um, different beliefs, practices, doctrines, experiences, things like that. So when I hear the term, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Warren Jeffs, I'm I'm thinking 
Branch Davidians. Sure. I, I'm thinking yeah. like cult kind of scenario, but I have a feeling that it's a lot yes. bigger than that. Yeah. And most of the research up until probably the last 10 to 15 years ago really focused on religion exclusively as what we call a pro-social factor. So this is going to be something that is helpful for somebody in times of need, times of, you know, looking for a higher purpose uh, or something outside of themselves, identity, things like that. And certainly it can be. Um, but when they talked about things like religious trauma, it was usually in the context of some of these more extreme things like you're talking about, whether it's um, extreme cults or um, clergy sexual abuse, things like that. And that's really kind of what we're hearing. However, what we're also realizing is that there's a lot of pieces uh, because religion is or sorry, because trauma is so subjective. What is traumatic for you may or may not be for me and vice versa. We're able to see that there are many things that can happen inside what I consider high control religions. And that's going to take on some cult like features that when people um, leave them or perhaps deconstruct their faith, maybe transition into a different denomination or church or things like that, we start to see a lot of the same physiological responses as, you know, victims of you know, domestic violence or victims of um, longer term overwhelm and, and places where trauma might occur. So it is, it's an ongoing conversation and it's relatively new for exactly the reason that you suggested. It's mostly been focused on uh, very extreme mm -hmm. instances of, of great harm. And like I said, certainly it can be that, but it also can be the way our body responds to certain teachings, practices, things that are happening within high control religions. So would it be safe to say that uh, someone can have religious trauma, if you will, in other words, trauma from being mm -hmm. with people in a church, within a church structure, even in a good church? Yes, and good could be subjective, right? Well, um, so, okay, let, yeah. let, let, that's fair, but let's not make it subjective, and let's yeah. let's say if it's, if it's a church that's practicing Christianity, which mm -hmm. is exemplified with the fruit of the Spirit, love, kindness, gentleness, self-control, right? Mm -hmm. um, that I, I would, I would, that's what I would call, you know, a, a, okay. a good church. One yeah. is, in other words, yeah. could it not, is there, is there a chance that the trauma could occur and it not really be the fault of the church or anybody in the church, but more the person who is carrying in such potential past trauma, past baggage? Uh, I don't know. I'm just exploring. I'm mm. trying to. Yeah. So when we look at the subjectivity of trauma, when is it, we, what we have to take into consideration truly is the unique parts of every individual. So, um, I'm going to use an example. So if, if two people were to say, be uh, involved in a car accident, they might have two very different experiences, like kind of what they take away from that, even though they've experienced technically the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. One person may be like, Oh, I'm good. I can, you know, kind of drive and I'm not really impacted. And another person may be terribly afraid of driving or, you know, they might have a lot of hypervigilance around fast moving objects or things like that. And so the way somebody responds to that, there's a variety of what we would call subconscious factors at play, things like genetics and DNA, where we have no conscious control mm. over that, or maybe past experiences, access to safety, things like that. So is it possible for somebody in a, what you're calling a, a good church to be traumatized? Absolutely because of their own unique experience. Right. Now we can make a 
pretty accurate assumption that the more, you know, controlling the teachings, the higher the likelihood that trauma might result. Oh, gotcha. Right. But but we can't but we also can't say a high control religion will always relate result in trauma. Right. And so we, we can make some hypotheses that way. But we can't say indefinitely, oh, a good church means you will never have religious trauma yeah. and a high control church means you will always have religious trauma. If yeah. that makes sense. Uh, it does. And, and I mean, I, I look at a high control church and, and I, to me, the more control that the church has over the people, the less Christian it is. You sure. know, it was for freedom fair. that Jesus set us free. And yeah. that's not freedom to, to sin, you know, uh, sure. but it's freedom to walk in grace. And so, mm. so there's, there's some yeah. interesting terminology. Yeah. The trauma thing is interesting. I actually just had a conversation up here yesterday with some people uh, mm -hmm. talking about COVID because yeah. th that's a, yeah. a great, I think, example of what you're talking about. Because I mean, COVID for me, it's kind of nice. There was less traffic on the freeway. I would come <laughs> yeah. in. I would, yeah. I would I would come up here by myself, do an interview on Zoom, mm -hmm. go to my office, do the work, you know, shut the door, do the work. I can have radio on or whatever, yeah. um, eat my lunch in my office, which is what I do anyway, um, and then and go home. Uh, and I mean, I, I was not stressed. Really. But at the very beginning, you're like, what's going on, right? But after a couple right. weeks, you know, it's like, all right, whatever. And then I was getting on airplanes and I was going on vacation. I mean, it was not as stressful thing. other people. I mean, it's still traumatizing for them. Yes. Uh, yes. And and so the sub subjectivity of trauma, I, I can see it clearly in that. Yes. And I've seen it in, in some churches, and I say a good church. I think part of the issue is that the churches are comprised of people, and people make mistakes. Sure. People hurt mm -hmm. people, not always intentionally. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I've been in a church where someone's like, oh, I had an awful experience there because of this, this, this. And I'm like, I was there. I was like, you're... I mean, my, my, my reflex is you're overreacting, but mm, there yeah. was, but that's not a good reaction <laughs> on my part. I mean, I, I had to step <laughs> back and go, okay, there's legitimate pain here. What was yeah. going on? You know? Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's a little difficult. What, what do you, what do you do? And in the cult stuff I get, I think that doesn't apply to most people in the audience. Um, but the people that have been in what we think of as a you know fairly good church that have walked away and then they're like, I think I've been traumatized. What, where do they start to get some healing? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I love about that first statement that we talked about, religious trauma is trauma. If we can use, if we can understand religious trauma as trauma, it actually does allow us access to a lot of resources, mm. research, books, therapists, things like that. I don't believe personally, that religious trauma needs its own special category in a diagnostic manual. <laughs> um, that to me, there's a variety of reasons that are beyond the scope of this interview. Um, however, if we can understand it as trauma, that actually gives us, whether you are working with a therapist or maybe just doing research on the internet or scrolling through social media, it gives us a lot of access to resources. So we can look at, hey, here's um, here's this person on social media who is talking about trauma or maybe even religious trauma. Maybe I can learn what that is to see how that resonates with my experience or not. Maybe that might incline me to reach out to a therapist for support to kind of work through some of the responses that I'm having, you know, maybe even if I've left a high control religion, maybe I can 
read some really great books that have exercises in them that I could do this at home, or I might join a support group. Mm. So I, mm. I really do think as cliche as it might sound, I think education is oftentimes a really good first step because often when we're traumatized, we're like, what is it that's happening to me? Yeah. And so to be able to have access to what I would consider solid resources that can say, here's maybe what you might you know, be experiencing, or here's maybe some resources that you could access. I think that's usually always a really nice entry point um, because it helps to give us a little bit more ownership over what do I want to do next with this mm -hmm. um, and what kind of support might I need. Well, if you're watching this and you think I need a little bit of support, here's a resource for you. This is uh, Dr. Anderson's website, Dr. Laura E. Anderson.com. Uh, and uh, she's got you know, blog, podcasts, uh, of course, books and things like that. Um, and then the, the latest book, When Religion Hurts You. So there's a couple of resources for you if you're mm -hmm. watching this thinking, that's me. Um, yeah. But I, I want to ask you another term that you use on the cover of the book in fact and you keep mm -hmm. saying high control religion mm -hmm. how do you mm -hmm. define that because again when i hear that i'm thinking you know i don't know mormonism or something you know where there's sure. just a lot of do's and don'ts that will get yes. you into heaven supposedly right what what yeah what does that mean yeah so again, there's not a, an entirely succinct definition for people watching. I'm going to show a chart that you're not going to be able to read. It's in the back of my book, <laughs> um, but it's this chart right here, and it's called the religious power and control wheel. It's in the back of the book in the appendix. And really what it is, is several categories, um, like things like isolation, minimizing, denying, and blaming, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, things like that with some very specific examples. It's not exhaustive, meaning there could be other things as well. But when we're, for instance, looking at isolation, um, it might be things like cutting off relationships with people outside the system. So mm -hmm. it's like you cannot be in any sort of relationship, even if it's family members, mm -hmm. with people who do not belong to our church or who do not belong to this way of believing. It could be information control of saying you are only allowed to consume information from these sources and anything outside of that is dangerous and therefore you cannot use it. Um, asking for like reporting back. So, you know, okay, you've got to report back your time. You've got to report back how you're spending your resources, whether that's time, energy, money, anything like that. Um, increased levels of commitment. So many churches ask for volunteers, but oftentimes high control religions are going to be demanding mm. more of that. Mm. Um, and so then of course that's isolating you from other people, other activities, mm. other things that are going on, um, devaluing people that are not in the religion or in that space, oh. uh, you know, in, in, creating kind of narratives around them. And oftentimes those narratives are based on fears which means I'm going to further isolate, right? Because that's a dangerous person and that would be scary. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, kind of fear and, and along with that propaganda for motive and motives of people outside the system. And so that creates this dynamic of isolation. And when we're isolated, that can be a lot easier to be controlled. Somebody can say, okay, you know, you don't have any of these outside influences that are perhaps helping you call things into check, you know, being a different voice of reason, um, being able to just ask questions or be curious. And so when those sources are cut off, we, whoever we is, a person or a group of people can be the loudest voice in your life that is determining what is it that you're doing and saying and wearing and places you're going and who you're in relationship with? And that can really create a dynamic of 
control and and power over others. Yeah, and to me those sound very cult-like, but I will say if, if you're watching and you're in a church and you're like, okay, that, that rings a bell, that yeah. should be, in my mind, that should be a big red flag and probably get out. What do you say to someone who's like, oh, okay, I think maybe I'm in a high control religion. What, what do you, what's your yeah. recommendation? Yeah. I mean, ultimately I would say just leave, but yeah. we oftentimes know that that's not always possible because when everybody's support system, whether that's friends, sometimes even jobs and family, finances, yeah. family is mm -hmm. tied up into that system mm -hmm. to leave. That is a lot. And it's a loss of identity. And oftentimes, um, you know, you, you said like Warren Jeffs, these are people that have no experience in the world outside of what they know. Right. So they walk outside those parameters of, of the cult and they, they don't even look like what other people in society are looking mm -hmm. like, which it's not about the looks. It's just, there's an obvious difference. Right. right? right. And so you go all of a sudden it's like, wow, it's not just necessarily I'm going to just leave because there's a lot of arrested development. Even, you know, they mm -hmm. might not have skills outside of what that group has taught them. So I, I really, I always like to say, I think people that can leave systems like that are incredibly brave and courageous yeah. because it takes a lot of um it takes a lot of bravery to to leave a system like that and to say this isn't right like i i need to find something outside of this support is a huge thing so if you can start developing a support system um as weird as it sounds i know social media can be so uh awful, but there is some <laughs> excellent support that can be found there as well. Yeah. Um, whether it is information or groups of people, there's yeah. many groups of people around the country that in every state that are going, Hey, we're here to help you. Mm -hmm. If you need a place to stay, if you need to try to get back on your feet. And so I think sometimes connecting in the social media spaces can be actually quite helpful yeah. doing Google searches, um, you know, getting, giving yourself time um, I used to work with domestic violence clients. And one of the things that we would talk about is that when you're wanting to leave, you have to make a plan to do so. Mm. You can't just leave your perpetrator because that's oftentimes when the danger increases mm. and the, the likelihood that additional measures of power and control will try to be played out. And that can oftentimes happen in high control religions as well. Mm -hmm. I talk about this in the book, but in Scientology, which they consider themselves the church of Scientology, mm -hmm. they have a concept called fair gaming, which means if you leave, you are fair game for anything to happen, which means they can call your employers and they can put stuff on social media and they can stalk you and harass you because you are outside the church, which means you're fair game for whatever behaviors they want to engage with. And that doesn't happen with every group. I want to be clear about that. But that idea of needing to build up some support is really, really helpful because um, leaving a dynamic of power and control, it, it's not it's not just as easy as not showing up at a church on a Sunday or yeah. a Wednesday. Yeah, It really is your whole identity. And so giving yourself time to think through, okay, how do I want to do this? Um, what would be the best way to leave? Where is the support that I can find? That's really important um, to give yourself space and time to do that. Yeah, a few few months ago, I interviewed Angel Barnett, and they have a dream center there in the I can't remember the name of the town right there on the Arizona Utah border, but it's where Warren it's Warren Jeffs. It's like one of his old properties, 
the the, wow. the Christian church. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is is so many of those people, even while he's still in prison, you know, they mm-hmm. they backed him. They didn't, and, and so ministering yes. it, it is a that is a, an extreme situation. But let me ask you about a more common situation, mm-hmm. um, which is simply, and I hear this, I hear this misused in. Uh, more charismatic circles, which is that that don't touch God's anointed, and you get someone who calls mm-hmm. himself a prophet, and they want to speak their word over your life, and mm-hmm. and when it's when it's not of God, excuse me, when it's not of God, it gets a little, it, it gets controlling, I, I think, uh, and some of it yeah. is not with the intent to control. Some of people are just kind of full of themselves, to be honest, <laughs> uh, yeah. but. W- how do you know if you're not in one of those that is, you know, most of us would go, yeah, clearly that's a cult kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But yet there is a level of, of maybe not physical control, but sort of psychological mm-hmm. control where you feel like, well, this pastor is a man of God and mm-hmm. therefore I need to kind of do, because, you know, that's where we see um, abuse happen that is not uh, always sexual or physical, but really mm-hmm. more just psychological what yeah what, how does somebody know if maybe that's going on yeah so one of the things um yeah one of the things I talk about in the book even that that chart that I showed at the um at the a couple questions ago is that oftentimes way before any sort of physical or sexual abuse would happen and in most cases it doesn't not in a church context right. um way before that would happen there's a lot of dynamics of that psychological control because again if you can control somebody psychologically there's a lot of other behaviors you can get away with mm-hmm. so it sounds it sounds silly but one of the ways that i you know outside of looking at some of the behaviors that i talk about in the book is asking what would happen if i left how do they treat members who leave how do they treat people who um are different than them who maybe don't want to subscribe to the same codes or ways of dressing or, you know, ways of spending time? Is there a demand that they must conform to these specific, uh, you know, kind of rules that aren't necessarily found like in the Bible, but Mm -hmm. are somehow called biblical? Um, You know, what, what, yeah, what's kind of the repercussions or the consequences of showing up? What happens when questions are asked? Yeah. Uh, Right. Yeah. There's there's so many people, especially in dynamics of power and control, that will say, well, the Bible says so. God says so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. Right. And so then that becomes this blanket answer where that question is not acceptable. And because and because God said so, there's no more questions. It ends the conversation, right? So yeah. So I think when we look at some of those things and we go, oh, yeah, gosh, you know, this person expressed concern or doubt and they were excommunicated or they were um, kind of made an example of in the group or we were told to be really careful of them <laughs> because maybe they're not saved, you yeah. know, simply for asking a question. So I think starting to just pay attention to things like that, there's many groups where you go, the questions are perfectly acceptable, where curiosity is invited, mm-hmm. where there's room for conversation and there's room for autonomy also, where it's like, yeah, I can, may- maybe I dress a little different than people, but that's not a reason why I would be considered unsafe or unsaved. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. I think looking at some of those dynamics is oftentimes important. What happens 
when I when somebody wants to leave, when questions are asked, when there's doubt expressed or something that goes against the group norms, what happens? Yeah. And that's sometimes how we can tell is is this a high control group or pastor, you yeah. know, a right. religious leader, things like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately, you know, people know. are people, even in the church. And yeah. when it's not right, it's not right. And we need to be mm -hmm. able to say so. Last question for you. And I appreciate mm -hmm. the insight. This is, I could sit and probably talk with you for hours, but I'll not do that today. Um, for someone who is, this is ringing a bell. I mean, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're this far in the interview and they're going, oh, mm -hmm. man. Is there hope for them, for healing, for escape, for a yeah. better life? Uh, the simple answer is yes, <laughs> I think so. Um, you know, anytime we're talking about trauma or dynamics of power and control, the path the, the path of healing is not always easy because there's a lot of hard stuff that we're working through. But in terms of like, is it possible to live in this healing life? Yes, it is. Um, I I really believe the purpose of healing is to live. And, and that's, I know my goal as a therapist is to help people really be present and enjoy, you know, this life and live to our fullest and, and, you know, according to our values and what is important. And so I do think that there is hope. And I, and I say that also from a personal place of my own journey. I say that from being able to work with hundreds of clients, um, who have also walked through that and who have gone through some really hard stuff and gotten to the other side and been like, yeah, this was really hard. And, um, I might not ever want to do it again, but I can be really grateful that I, of where I've come to as a result of, of doing, you know, in this case, therapeutic work, because that's how I work yeah. with clients. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do believe that there is hope. Yeah. I would not do what I do if I didn't believe that. <laughs> well, and I believe it too. And I, and I yeah. appreciate you saying that. Some mm -hmm. people just needed to hear it. Yeah. Um, yes. In, at the end of the day, um, I, I think, the best starting place for all of us is to know, number one, God is a good God. If that's where you're questioning, then that's going to, you need to resolve that first. And second, people are flawed, even well-meaning, good-intentioned people. The Pope is flawed. Your favorite preacher on TV is flawed. Shocker of all shockers. I'm flawed, right? <laughs> you know, we are, we are, we're all flawed. We're all on a, on a journey. We're all hopefully being conformed to the image of Christ. So put your faith in God and God alone. He's the only one that will never disappoint you. People will fail you. And, and there's a level of that that's okay, but when it's not okay, you need to step away. Uh, and there are resources. There are people out there that will help you. Dr. Laura mm -hmm. E. Anderson, to match the website, by the way, thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. This is the book right here. Get the buttons right when religion hurts you. Uh, and then the website is available, drlaurieanderson.com. If you want to follow up, listen to some, some podcasts, read some blogs, get some more resources, pass this along to someone else. If you know somebody that's struggling with this, um, hit that share button uh, and let them know, hey, look, here's some good insight and there's some hope for you. Appreciate you guys being here. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live.